السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا إنه من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله تعالى وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار رضز السستز الإسلام Today's session and tomorrow's, insha'Allah, will be, uh, will be, insha'Allah, discussing together and uh, elaborating upon the book of Iman of Shaykh Al-Iman Abu Ubaid Al-Qasim ibn Salam, rahimahullah ta'ala. And before we delve into the, uh, into the topic, the issue of Iman is very essential and very important for every Muslim to know. Because there are actually erroneous and mistaken notions or misconceptions about the Iman happened among the Muslims. And they are deviant sects who adopted uh, these wrong uh, misconceptions or uh, uh, concepts. The Iman, according to the the belief according to the the Salaf creed or the belief of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah that as you can see in on the blackboard that Iman is the utterance of the tongue by the tongue that you have to express the Iman verbally and then also the limbs should manifest that Iman through the actions and also the heart should have the conviction that will never be shaken. So it's conviction in the heart and utterance on the tongue and action by the lips. That's the Iman. And these three elements, uh, actually this is a crush course brothers, so I'm wondering why you don't have handouts or uh, pencil, bands and papers. Okay, this is not a lecture. Okay? And this is a very, very important issue. It is an issue of Iman. So, I hope, inshallah, you are Muhammad Ismail Bukhari, all of you. You know Muhammad Ismail Bukhari? Imam Muhammad Ismail Bukhari, when his colleagues were writing, he was not writing. So they used to tell him, right, so the Sheikh would tell them, leave Muhammad. Muhammad now is recording for the years. For years he is recording. When he goes back to Bukhara, he will just huh, go there and recall everything and jump it down. So inshallah, all of you are like that. Huh? So that's why you don't bring pens and papers. So tomorrow, inshallah, pens and papers, okay? Inshallah. So... So these are the three elements or three components of Iman. 
and they are interconnected. Okay? And all of them constitute the entity of Iman or the reality of Iman. The three elements. What are they? Actions of the tongue, complexion of the heart and action by the limbs. Three elements, three components, interconnected, they constitute Iman. Because there are deviant sects will come across them, inshaAllah, who some they say Iman is only the convection of the heart. Convection by the heart, that's it. And those are known as the Yahmites or the Yahmiya, deviant sect. Some they say Iman is only by the tongue and the heart. And those are known, okay, as the Mujia. Okay. They exclude the action of the limbs from the definition of Imam. And the true uh, group, Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, they say Imam, three elements, three components together. And you can see here in the Hadith of Jibreel. See, Hadith of Jibreel. When he came to the Prophet and he asked him about Islam and Iman and Ihsan. Okay? And these three are the deen. This is the deen. The deen, Islam, Iman and, and Ihsan. The three elements, they constitute the, the deen. That's why he said at the end of the hadith, this is Jibreel, Ja'a yu'allimkum deenakum. Jibreel came to teach you your deen. And you can see there, on this, Venn diagram that the outer circle is the Islam the next circle which is circle number two is the Iman and the third circle is the Ihsan you understand? see the diagram so if you are in circle number three that you reach the Ihsan then you are Mu'min and Muslim at the same time right if you are in circle 3, then you are Mu'min and Muslim. If you are in circle 2, you are Mu'min and Muslim. If you are in circle 1, you are Muslim. Understand? So, Islam is global. It's, it, the meaning is broader. Then Iman, the circle is getting shrinking. And then the Ihsan. And the highest is the, which is the highest? Ihsan. The highest is the Ihsan. That's where the Prophet ﷺ said that you worship Allah as if you are seeing Him. Though you don't see Him, He is seeing you. So Ihsan is the highest level. Now, <coughs> the, the book of the author, this book, it is there on the net, on the internet, you can download it easily. But inshallah, by tomorrow, we'll have the handouts. Alright. The Book of Imam by Abu Ubaid Al-Qasim Ibn Salam, Rahimallah Ta'ala. Biography of the author. He is Abu Ubaid Al-Qasim Ibn Salam, Al-Baghdadi. He's from Baghdad. 
امام دا مجتہد سو ہیز ان امام ان مجتہد مجتہد that means he is entitled to practice ijtihad and what is ijtihad to deduce the rules directly from the source from the Quran and the Sunnah when you reach that level and you can deduce the rules directly from the text and from whether the text is Quranic text or the text of the Sunnah then you are a mujtahid and there are different levels of mujtahid we have absolute mujtahid okay who will be a scholar in different disciplines of knowledge in the tafsir of the Quran in the hadith in the fiqh in usul al-fiqh he masters multiple disciplines of knowledge Or you can have a mujtahid who is only a certain specific discipline of knowledge. Like in fiqh or in hadith or tafsir. Are you following? That's the meaning of mujtahid. The mujtahid, the ocean of knowledge. Okay? That his knowledge is so, so great. The linguist, he was also a linguist. Linguist, that means he knows the language. He's a grammarian. And the legal jurist. And he's faqih at the same time in the sharia. He was born in... <coughs> he was born in Haraf. Or Haraf. Haraf. In about the year 158. Of course, Hijri year. And his father was a Roman slave. So his father was a slave. To some of the people of Haraf. He heard and learned from a group of the trustworthy Imams. His Mashayikh, his scholars. Like Sufyan ibn Uyayn. MashaAllah. See. He's a student of Sufyan ibn Uyayn. You don't know these names. That's why. Okay. But if you know. Those scholars, those are towering figures. These names are towering figures. Sufyan ibn Uyayna. Ismail ibn Ulayya. Those are imams of hadith. Yazid ibn Harun. Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Qattan. This is the doctor of hadith. The surgeon of hadith. Okay. Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Qattan is one of the imams of Jarrah. But does it mean Imam of Jab? Those scholars who will tell whether this hadith is sound or defective. Is this hadith sound? Is this hadith sahih or weak? So Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Qattan is one of those scholars. Abdul Rahman ibn Mahdi and Hamad ibn Salama and others. These are the scholars of the teachers of our Imam Abu Ubaid al-Qasim al-Musallam. Imam al-Darimi, rahimahullah, and Abu Bakr ibn Abi dunya and Ali ibn Abdul Aziz al-Baghawi, and Muhammad ibn Yahya al-Murwazi, and others narrated from him. They took ilm and they learned from him. Imam Ishaq ibn Rahawayh said, 
what the scholars said about Abu Ubaid al-Qasim ibn Salam. Imam Ishaq ibn Rahawai said, Allah loves the truth. Allah loves the truth. Allah yuhibbu al-haq. Allah loves the truth. Abu Ubaid is more knowledgeable and has deeper understanding than me. Subhanallah. See the, the humility, how humble they are. He said, Allah loves the truth. I'm telling you that Abu Ubaid has more knowledge than, than I, I, I have and has deeper understanding than me. He also said, Imam Ishaq ibn Rahawi, we are dependent upon Abu Ubaid. We are dependent upon him. And Abu Ubaid is not dependent upon us. We need him. And we need his knowledge, and he is not in need of ours. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal said, Abu Ubaid is a teacher. He is a star. Star in the sense that he is qualified. We are in need of his knowledge. He teaches us. And every day he increases in good. Every day he increases in the khayr. And this is a testimony and a certificate from Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. And Yahya ibn Ma'in, this is also one of the scholars of hadith, and those who are the experts in criticizing and evaluating the narrators. Yahya ibn Ma'in was asked about him about Abu Ubaid, to which he replied that people should ask, should ask Abu Ubaid about him. Abu, he said, when the, he replied that people should ask Abu Ubaid about him. What does it mean? Don't come to me and ask me about him. Go and ask him about me. You understand? Who, he is telling them in other words, who am I to evaluate this Imam, he is the one who is in the position to tell me, you, what is my status? I am nothing. You should not come and ask me about him. And this shows that how <coughs> the scholars, they were respecting this Imam. And also shows us the manners which we lack. The manners that those scholars used to have. Which we should learn from these things and try to adorn and beautify our character by such beautiful characteristics and qualities. Imam Abu Dawood said that about him, he said he is trustworthy. That means if when he narrates the hadith, you accept his hadith. Reliable. Okay, these are descriptions will be given for, for the narrator. He is reliable, he is trustworthy. So when he narrates, when you see his name in the Isnad of Hadith, no need to go and check. Because he is trustworthy and he is reliable. Al-Hafid al-Dahabi said, Rahimahullah, 
whosoever looks into the books of Abu Ubaid will know his high rank in memorization and knowledge. He was a hafiz of hadith and its defects. This title hafiz used to be given, they would say, a person who is hafiz when he memorizes one million hadith. You are surprised, right? Yeah. Okay. And of course, different hadith, whether sahih and we and da'if and mursal, mugu, qata' or different various of uh, versions, uh, types of hadith. Then they get this title, half of He was half of hadith and its defects. He knows the defects of the hadith. I don't want to delve into the science of hadith, otherwise I'll... Okay? But, the doctors of hadith, the experts, they will look to the Islam and say, oh, there is a defect. This narrator is weak, there is a defect. This narrator is a liar, so this hadith is not true hadith. Okay? So he knows the ilal, what we call ilal, defects of hadith. Imam Bukhari, his reputation suffers far. Before he, he comes, everyone knows about Bukhari. Before he arrives in any town, people, they know Bukhari. So, in Baghdad, the scholars of Iraq, they tried to, to test him. So, what they did to Imam Bukhari, they brought 100 narrator and they gave 100 man and they gave everyone a hadith and they told him narrate this hadith, say it and the isnad of every hadith they removed the isnad of this hadith and they put it on the matin of the other hadith you see the hadith consists of two parts isnad and matin isnad is the chain of the narrators Ibn Abbas said so and so say, so and so say, this chain is called Isnad. And the saying of the Prophet, when the companion said, the Prophet said that we call it Matin. We call it what? Matin. So what they did, they removed the Isnads of the Hadith and they put them in different Hadith. The Isnad of this Hadith, Isnad of Hadith number one, put it on Isnad Hadith number two. And they read the Hadith to Imam Bukhari. Imam Bukhari, when they read the ahadith, every time they read the hadith, he said, I don't know this hadith. Which is true. Because there isn't a hadith by this isma. Which is true. This hadith doesn't exist with this isma. He said, I don't know this. So the naive ones, they say, who is this? Who is Bukhari? Bukhari doesn't know anything. And the knowledgeable ones, they said, oh, he discovered the trick now. He knew the trick. When they finished reading the 100 hadith, he said, he memorized them now with the new isnads. See, this is the, the uniqueness of Bukhari. He memorizes the 100 hadith with the new isnads. And he said, this hadith with this isnad is not true. 
after he's saying it, he says the hadith, Within your snad, he said, this isnad is not the isnad of this hadith, this isnad is the isnad of this hadith. And he put the isnad back. And hence then, he mentioned the hadith with their original isnads. Then the whole said, you are the imam. Okay? You are the leader in this field. So here Imam Dahabi said, Whoever looks into the books of Abu Ubaid will know his high rank in memorization and knowledge. He was the hafiz of hadith and its defects. Knowledgeable of fiqh. See? They were not only in hadith. He knows only hadith. No, he also knows the, the fiqh. So he's imam in hadith and imam in fiqh as well. Because they are scholars of hadith. They were only scholars in hadith. They don't know anything about the fiqh. And the difference of opinions, he knows the different opinions of the scholars. A pillar in the language, he's a scholar also because he's a linguist. So he knows the language very well. An imam in recitation, also he is an imam in the different modes of recitation, what we call uloom al-qira'at. See, there are different, now it is the field. Now, it is the field. When you go, you specialize. In the college, it's only the Quran. So you graduate in that field nowadays. And now also, Hadith and Sharia. You cannot have all of them. An Imam in recitation. And he had books concerning them. Or he also compiled and wrote books. Regarding these disciplines of knowledge. I have come across his books. Kitab al-Amwar. This is one of the famous books. And it is a reference. This book is talking about the financial issues in Islam. Finance. It's a reference. Until this moment. Those who wrote thesis in economics, etc. They refer to his book. Al-Amwal, Kitab Al-Amwal. And Kitab Al-Nasikh Wal-Mansukh. He also wrote about Al-Nasikh Wal-Mansukh. What does it mean, Al-Nasikh Wal-Mansukh? The abrogator and the abrogated. Okay? We have a text that is abrogated. So the text that abrogated this, we call it Al-Nasikh, the abrogator itself. And the text which has been abrogated and cancelled is Mansukh. Am I clear? Are you following? And Nasikh, well, and for the alim, the scholar, or the students of knowledge, he has to know these things. Has to know these things. Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu, he found a man teaching in the masjid. He told him, do you know the Nasikh and Mansukh? said, no. He said, leave the message. You are not authorized. You are not entitled to teach. Till you know the Nasr and Mansur. Let's give you one example. Hadith is in Bukhari. Some might get the Bukhari and read it and do it. The Hadith in Bukhari says, if a man sleeps with his wife and he fails to ejaculate, he just takes wudu. 
Have you come across that hadith? Alhamdulillah. Okay? This hadith is in Bukhari. That if a man sleeps with his wife and he fails to ejaculate, then there is no ghusl, only wudu. You take wudu and that's it. So if one now applies that hadith, he's mistaken. He's wrong. Because the hadith is abrogated. It has no effect. It's cancelled. It's abrogated. What abrogated it? The other hadith, which is in Sahih Muslim. This was in the early days of the da'wah, early days of Islam. The other hadith which abrogated it is the hadith in Sahih Muslim that says, when the two circumcised parts touch each other, إِذَا مَسَّ الْخِتَانِ الْخِتَانِ فَقَدْ وَجَبَ الْغُسْلُ أَنْزَلَ أَوْ لَمْ يُنْزَلُ When the two circumcised parts touch each other, then both of them, they are obliged to take a bath, whether he ejaculated or not. So this, that hadith abrogated this. It abrogated this hadith. So if you don't know the Nasr al-Mansur, you will be applying that one, which is abrogated. Okay. The hadith says that in the two private parts, which means the penis and the, the private part, the male's private part. And what does it mean when the two circumcised private parts touch each other? Is it the mere touch? No, it's the penetration. Penetration has to take place. As Ibn Abu Huraira said, when the, the round one, he's referring to the head of the penis, said when the round one disappeared into the vagina, then you have to take a shower. Okay? So here he wrote a book, Kitab al-Nasikh, Clear. And also the same thing in the Quran. There are verses that are abrogated. Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi said, He was possessing nobility. That Abu Ubaid was a noble person. High caliber person. Gentleman. Religion. He's a religious person. He fears Allah. Excellent manners. He had excellent manners. And always the scholars will be like that. Scholars, they see Allah. And you'll see them, they are humble. Very humble. Sometimes you will not recognize that this is a scholar or this is a alim. He's a layman, he doesn't know anything. But when he speaks, you see the pearls are, are, are falling out of his mouth. Pick the, the various types of benefit. Then when you see him, see, what's this person? He doesn't know anything. That's how the scholars are. We have a saying in Arabic, says that when the corn of the corn of maize, the ear, the ear of maize, of corn, the ear, when it is full of grain, it is down to, close to the ground, right? Because it is heavy. It's full of grains. 
When it is empty, it is up in the sky. True or not? So when the air is full of grains, it's down. When it is empty, it is high. So when the head is empty, it's high. When the head is full, it's down. So you find those now who are talking and arrogant because their heads are empty. They have no ilm. They have no knowledge. That's why they make blunders and they are arrogant and no humility, no humbleness, etc. Excellent manner of good madhab. His methodology, his way is upon the method madhab of the Salaf. That's the best. If you want to go to the Jannah, you have to be upon the methodology, the way of the Sahaba and Tabi'een and Tabi'een. You have no other choice. If you choose any other way, apart from the way of the Sahaba and Tabi'een, Tabi'een, then you will go to hell. There's no other choice, brothers. The Prophet ﷺ made it very clear. Okay? He said that the Jews were divided in, into 71 sects, the Jews. The Christians into 72. And my Ummah is going to be divided into 73 sects. 72 into hell. Only one will be delivered. And when he was asked, what is, what, what is the characteristics of this one, with this group and sect which is going to be Say, say those who are upon what I am upon today and what you are upon today. So if you want to go to the Jannah, you have to be upon what the Sahaba were upon. They have no other choice. No way. And logically, when you think about it, do you think that we will know the deen better than Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali and Talha and Zubair? Impossible. Who can dare to say that? That I will know the deen better than Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. Or Umar bin Khattab, or Uthman Ma'affan, or Ali bin Abi Talib, radiyallahu anhum. Those whom Allah said, radiyallahu anhum, or radiyallahu anhum. Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Allah. Is Allah pleased with you? No. So Allah is pleased with them, so follow their way. So their way is the safest way. The way that will guarantee your arrival to the Jannah by Allah's grace. Just follow them blindly. So that's what he meant here, a good madhah. That he was upon the way of the Sahaba. The Sahaba. And excellent books sought after in every land. His books, people are searching for them. The people are searching for his books that he wrote. And the narrators from him are famous and trustworthy. Those who took the knowledge from him. And we just mentioned few among them is Imam Darini. Deserving of mention and excellence. When people they talk about him, they praise him. And his book concerning Al-Amwal, okay, financial issues, 
and the capital is one of the best books written on fiqh. Then he carries on, Imam Dahabi. I say despite these virtues, Imam Dahabi said, I say despite these virtues and excellent qualities, the six Imams of the famous six books on Hadith did not report any of his Hadith. Though he is an Imam, okay, but the compilers of the Sunnah and the two Sahih, you know the six books or you don't know them? What are the six books? Bukhari and Muslim. Nasa'i, Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, Abu Dawud. It's what? The six books. So he said, despite these virtues and excellent qualities, the six Imams of the famous six books in Hadith did not report any of his Hadith. And this is from the many evidences that they reported from only some of the trustworthy narrators of Hadith. That the scholars of Hadith, those six books, they did not report every authentic Hadith. Bear this in mind. Not every Hadith they put in their books. And not every narrator they put his book, uh, his Hadith in their books. They chose and they selected. Imam Bukhari, the Hadith in Sahih Bukhari, less than 10,000. He selected them and he chose them from among 100,000 Hadith Sahih. He just selected those for us. And the rest, he kept them in other books. Though they are Sahih. Okay? And the Bukhari is a topic by himself. You want to talk about Bukhari. Because if you read Sahih Bukhari, sometimes you find the title is a hadith, isn't it? Have you noticed that? The title in Sahih Bukhari, then the hadith under it. The title itself is a hadith. If the title is hadith, why did he put it as a title, not a hadith? Oh, there is a reason. Because this hadith which he, he put it as a title doesn't meet his criteria. Because Bukhari, the criteria of Bukhari is the toughest criteria. So maybe this hadith is in Muslim. Or maybe this hadith is in Musnad Ahmad. It is Sahih. But it is not meeting his criteria so he will make it just the title. And then he will bring a hadith that matches and complies with his own, with the criteria of Bukhari, and he will mention that hadith. And sometimes in Bukhari, you will see the title and no hadith under. Have you come across that? Title, no hadith, blank. Why? Because the Bukhari, he put the titles, then he searched for the hadith that will agree with the title. And sometimes he didn't find a hadith matching his criteria, complying with his criteria, that suits that particular title. So he left it blank. Understand? So here, when the compilers of the Sunan and the two Sahih, they didn't report any of his hadith, this is 
This is from the many evidences. This is from the many proofs. Adillah. That they reported from only some of the trustworthy narrators of hadith. Not every trustworthy narrator, they put his hadith in their books. Are you following brothers? Clear? Okay. So there is nothing strange. After knowing this, that Imam Bukhari did not narrate from some of the trustworthy narrators from Ahlul Bayt, may Allah be pleased with them. By mentioning this, Imam Dahabi is saying, then don't wonder why Imam al-Bukhari did not mention the hadith of Ahlul Bayt in his book. Because he didn't say that every trust, he didn't make it a condition that every trustworthy narrator I put his hadith. He was very selective. He was very selective. So he chose certain hadith and he put in his sahih. So you cannot use that point against him, against Bukhari, that since Bukhari did not mention any hadith of Ahlul Bayt, that he doesn't like Ahlul Bayt. He cannot jump to that conclusion. Because the scholars of hadith, as we have this example of Imam Ubayt ibn Qasim, though he is an imam, they didn't mention his hadith. From the words of Abu Ubayt himself, what he said, May Allah have mercy upon him. He said, He said, the follower of the Sunnah, He said, the follower of the Sunnah is like one holding in two hot stones. He's saying, the one who is following the Sunnah of the Prophet, and he's talking at his time, right? How about, huh? If he sees our situation nowadays. He talks about his time, and he says, the follower, the follower of the Sunnah, like one who's holding charcoal, or hot stones in his hand. And in this day, at his time, he is more excellent in my eyes than the one who raises the sword in the way of Allah. Right? Because the sword of Allah, many Muslims will raise it. But not everyone who raises the sword of Allah to fight is on the right, huh? is on the right path. Bear this in mind. There are many people fighting for the cause of Allah. But their aqidah is, is wrong. Many they were fighting the kuffar. And they are grave worshippers. This is a fact. They are grave worshippers. Mushriks. But they are fighting the kuffar. Because the kuffar invaded their land. You understand? So not everyone who is a mujahid, who is fighting, okay, yes, we support every Muslim who is defending his land. That's the right of every Muslim. But at the same time, we have to differentiate. And we have to correct the belief. You need to correct his belief. No, he's on the front line. You are going to die. You better die upon the right belief or right correct aqidah. That's why Abu Ubaid ibn Qasim here says, 
and this day at his time, the one who is holding to the sunnah, the one who is adhering to the sunnah of the Prophet and in this day he is more excellent in my eyes than the one who raises the sword in the way of Allah. Is better than the Mujahid. Why? Because he is practicing the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Because at this time, the one who practices the Sunnah, there are only few. And he is talking about his time, not our time. So those who are practicing are only handfuls. They are strangers, they are Ghuraba. I say this was in his time. Imam Dahabi commenting. He said, I say this in his time. So what would be said about our times? SubhanAllah. Of course, brothers and sisters, those who are upon the right way and the right track, they are strangers. You feel you are a stranger? Because the majority are against you. Everyone is saying, is it possible that you are right, you are correct, you are the only one? Why not? You know, a man came to Ali, radiallahu anhu, you know, during the reign of Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiallahu anhu, he was the caliph. A lot of fitan happened, a lot of troubles. So a man came to say, why these troubles and afflictions did it happen during the reign and the caliphate during the reign of Abu Bakr and Umar? Why only during the reign? He's insinuating that there is something wrong with you. Ali is very uh, smart, very witty. Tell him because Abu Bakr and Umar they were ruling people like me. And my problem, I am ruling people like you. This is the problem. This is the difference. That Umar was ruling people like me, so he was not. We were not giving him any tough time. We're not giving him trouble. We saved him the trouble actually, because we were so disciplined. So we will not disobey them. But you, you are rebellious, time. Then he told him, he told him, don't know the truth by men, know the men by the truth. What does this mean? Some people, he will know the, tru the truth through the men. If, what does it mean? If this person is doing it, then it is the truth. Then it is the haqq. Not he will judge the person according to the truth. Is he, is he upon the truth or not? No, he will make that the haq follow this man. If this man is doing it, then that must be the haq, that must be the truth. We should do the opposite. The truth should be known to us, and then we check this man. Is he upon the truth? Is he in the haq? Is he in the right way or not? The right way should be clear. The haq should be clear. Then, whoever is complying with the haq, Following the haq, we say, all right, we accept him, and we respect him. If he is not following the haq and the truth, then we say, sorry. This person is not upon the haq, he is not upon the truth. 
This is the criteria. For instance, I tell you, some people, some brothers or students of knowledge, if you tell them, what do you say about a person, X person says this? He says, well, this is wrong. Then you tell him, are you sure? He said, yes. Of course, this is against the belief of Ahlul Sunnah. When you mention the name, he changes his opinion. When you tell him, but this is what so and so is saying. Then he said, oh, I'll give it a second person. Maybe, 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 maybe. So this person, he doesn't know the half. And he doesn't want to follow the truth. Okay? He can twist the truth and reject it because this person said that. This is, this is very dangerous. Very dangerous, very risky. Muslims should follow the haq, irrespective of who said it. You saw that, you know, that in the hadith of Ayatul Kursi. Okay? Who taught Abu Hurairah Ayatul Kursi? Who taught him? Shaytan. Shaytan is the one who taught Abu Hurairah Ayatul Kursi. And Abu Hurairah learned it from the Shaytan. Three nights, because of Hurairah, the Prophet said it, told him, this is a pile of day. Okay? So protect it. Guard it at night. So he found the thief, a man, stealing. So he caught him. He told him, please, release me. I have children. I am poor. So he felt pity for him. And then he released him. The second day, the Prophet said, what did you do with your prisoner? Allah found him. He said, you know, Prophet of Allah, he said he is poor, he is this. He said, no, he didn't tell you the truth. He's going to come back. So Abu Huraira said, the Prophet ﷺ told me he's going to come back, so I waited for him. And they caught him again. And he did the same thing and he released him. The third night, Abu Huraira said, no way. Two nights, you give your lame excuses and you come again. No way. I will tie you against this pillar. Column. So he said, Abu Hurairah, listen. He will teach you an ayah. If you read it, no shaitan will come close to you. And he taught Abu Hurairah Ayatul Kursi. In the morning, the Prophet asked Abu Hurairah, and Abu Hurairah told him, you know, he gave these excuses, and he taught me Ayatul Kursi. The Prophet said, In this he said the truth, though he is a liar. What does it mean? Here the Prophet he didn't say, No, he's a liar. He said, Here he said the truth. Though he's a liar. But this what he said is the truth. Many brothers, they don't want even to treat their brothers as, as if they are the shaitan. Even to that level they don't want to be. This brother is saying the truth, is conveying to you the truth, but you will not accept it for him. Imagine he's the shaitan. Will you accept from him? This shows there is a sickness. This is a problem. We need to handle, we need to address.
the Imam, rahimahullah, stayed in Baghdad for a time. Because he was born in Baghdad, he stayed in Baghdad teaching for a time. Then he became the Qawi in Tartus. Then after that he moved to Makkah. And he lived there till he died in the year 224. Rahimahullah ta'ala. And subhanallah, when we read in the biographies of the Salaf, many of them, many of them, towards the end of their lives, they will head towards Makkah, and settle in Makkah and die in Makkah. Because they know these are the best places, Makkah and Medina. Best places to go and live and die. Okay? And you know, towards the end of time, Islam will be between the two masjids. Makkah and Medina. Okay, this is the introduction. Should we proceed to the chapter? Okay. Chapter 1. The characteristics of faith concerning its completion and its levels. So the ta- this chapter is going to talk about the completion of Iman and what are the ca- characteristics of the completion of Iman and the various levels of Iman. Because we, Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, the, the followers of the Salaf al-Salih, the creed of the pious predecessors, we know that Iman has many levels and consists of more than 70, 70 something branches. And the highest one is La ilaha illallah and the lowest one to remove any harm from the road. And the, these levels, the people, they vary. And I want you to bear in mind that you, the Iman has a reference, this is the basic reference, and on top of this, this level everyone should have, every Muslim. And here the increment. So the increment will be on top of the basic. There is a minimum level everyone should have. So the increment will be here on top of that. Okay? If you lose the minimum one, then you are not a Muslim. You are out of Islam. If the decrement reaches the minimum level, the foundation, and the foundation is gone, then you are not within the fold of Islam. You are a kafir. Bear this in mind. Always the things, the increment, the increase and decrease, will be on top of the minimum level, which every Muslim should have. Is this clear? Always bear this in mind. So this chapter is going to talk about the characteristics of Iman, how the Iman is complete, and how can you try to perfect your Iman, and what are the various levels of Iman, that is the chapter. He said, Rahimallah, indeed you have asked me about faith, about the Iman. And the difference of the nation concerning its completion and its increasing and decreasing. So someone asked him, 
and he wrote this book. Kitab al-Imam. In Arabic, and it has been checked by Sheikh Nasr al-Din al-Albani. So the ahadith are being checked by Sheikh Nasr al-Din al-Albani. Rahimahullah ta'ala. Concerning its completion and its increasing and decreasing. And you mentioned that you would like to know the position of Ahl-Sunnah with regards to this. So the question of, ask the Imam, I want to know what is the stance, what's the opinion of the Salaf, the Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. And the proof of those who differ from them on this. The question also asked for the evidence. What is the evidence of those who differed with Ahl-Sunnah? Like the Mujia, the Mu'tazila, the other deviant sects. Okay? So he said, So indeed may Allah have mercy upon you. Know that this subject was discussed by the Salaf at the beginning of this Ummah. The Salaf, they discussed the issues. You know that when the first bid'ah appeared was the bid'ah of Qadr. The bid'ah of Qadr. The destiny, the ordainment. And this bid'ah, uh, the, the Mu'tazila, they were saying there is no Qadr. Allah didn't preordain things. Allah doesn't know things prior to their occurrence. They say, Allah knows things after they happen, not before they happen. Are you following? And of course here, if Allah doesn't know what is going to happen in His kingdom, this is an attribute of ignorance you are attributing to Allah. The Mu'tazila. And they denied the Qadr. So Ibn Umar Two tabi'een, two of the tabi'een. The hadith is in Bukhari. They went to Mecca and they met Ibn Umar. They said, what do you, do you think of people who search, seek the ilm and the religious knowledge and they are scholars, but yet they say this. Ibn Umar said, tell them that Ibn Umar, he washes his hand of you. I am free of what you are saying. And tell them, by Allah, if any one of them, or every one of them, if any one of them gives in the way of Allah a wealth which is equivalent to the weight of the Mount of Uhud, Allah will not accept it from him until he believes in the Qadr. If he pays in the way of Allah, Gold in the size of the Mount of Uhud, it will not be accepted from him till he believes in the Qadr, good and evil, from Allah. So that is the first bid'ah. And you'll be surprised, brothers, if you know that the, these bid'ahs, the ones really, the handlers, or hidden hands, behind them, are non-Muslims. The bid'ah, which is about the Qadr, which is Ma'bad al-Juhani, Okay, is the one who who advocated it and called the people towards it. The one who taught it, taught him this 
and put that doubt into his mind is a person Christian called Sausam. Sausam. The same thing, the Jahmiya, deviant sect, Jahm ibn Safwan, who, who negated the attributes of Allah and the names of Allah. When we trace, we find that Al Jahm learned from Al Jad ibn Jirham. And Al Jad ibn Jirham from Iban ibn Sab'an. And Iban ibn Sab'an from Talut. And Talut from Labid ibn Al Asan, the Yahud. And if you take all these things, the corruption, the bid'ahs, various bid'ahs, bid'ahs in the belief and ideology, you'll find the Jews behind that. Not only those who misled many Muslims, also the Christians, they were misled by the Jews. The one who invented for them the Holy Trinity is Paul, Saint. Paul. Who sent Paul? Is Saul. He's a Jew. He's what? A Jew. So here the author, Rahimallah, said, <coughs> This subject was discussed by the Salaf at the beginning of this Ummah, and by those who followed them, the Tabi'een, and those who followed them till this day of ours. I have written to you a short explanation. So this is an answer for a question, okay? Like Aqidah Wasatiyah, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. It was a request. A man from Wasat in Iraq, he came to Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and he told him, please write for me the Aqidah, the belief of Ahl sunnah so I want to read it at home for my children. So Ibn Taymiyyah, he wrote it between Asr and Maghrib. You know the Wasatiyah? That is between Asr and Maghrib, Shaykh al-Islam sat down and wrote it and gave it to him. Between Asr and Maghrib, okay? And Nafi was not opening the books. Even Taymiyyah, when they talked about him, they said, when he is writing, he will not stop for thinking. The only time he will stop is to dip the, the feather into the ink and to carry on. Not like us who would write a paragraph, few lines, and say, okay, squeeze my mind, what to say next. No. Things are coming out, falling down. He will just stop to give the feather to write with it. That's it. So when the man asked him, write something for me and my family, he said, okay. From Asr Maghrib, he gave him this Aqidah which now we are huh, reading and explaining it. Alright? Okay. So he told him, I have written to you a short explanation of what I know concerning this. This was always, you'll be surprised, the scholars, they had uh, photographic memories. Imagine Zad al-Ma'ad. You have Zad al-Ma'ad now in English, right? By Ibn al-Qayyim. This he wrote it in his journey to Mecca. He was traveling, so he was huh, writing Zad al Ma'ad. And now, when you read Zad al Ma'ad, you think, How come? There were no references with him, no books with him, and he wrote this massive work from his memory. And he would tell you, This hadith is in this book and that book, and this hadith has this narrator and his weak narrator. 
Everything is there. Everything is in their mind. Imam ibn Hazm. Sorry for this uh, uh, coming out. Imam ibn Hazm. Have you heard Imam ibn Hazm? He's uh, one of the Yuris, Fuqaha. And he wrote a book, is Al-Muhalla. Al-Muhalla is a massive book on fiqh. This book, his original book, they burnt him. His, book in front, his books in front of him in Spain. His enemies, Muslims, but they didn't like him. So they brought all his books and they burnt the, his books in front of his eyes. While they were burning his books, he was laughing. So what are you doing? Oh, and this is here and here. <laughs> what are you doing? He said, We always have to run our life according to the book of Allah. If I'm mistaken, let us call a scholar or someone and ask him. No ill feelings, nothing. We'll call him. If you are correct, I'll say, I'll follow what you are saying. Not because I'm the man. You have to listen to me. It doesn't work like that. No dictatorship, huh? You are following the truth. But for instance, in certain areas, yes, the man has to have the final word. Because he is the captain. He is steering the, the ship. And the ship cannot have two captains, right? What will happen if the ship has two captains? It will sink. It will drown. Okay? So that's why the man is finally, he is the one who decides. But of course, he should not be a dictator. He can consult his wife, asking, see her advice, what she thinks. Sometimes they come up with, mashallah, huh? brilliant ideas. Like, you know, the Prophet sallallahu he is our example. <coughs> you know, in the Sulh of Hudaybiyah, the Sulh of Hudaybiyah, the Hudaybiyah peace treaty assigned, when the Prophet was going for Umrah and the Mushriks stopped him. They stopped him. And he decided, because the outcome of the negotiation, that Muslims should not go to Umrah this year. So they have now to remove their ihram. They have to remove their ihram. There is no way. So the Prophet he said to the Sahaba, remove your ihram. The Sahaba were reluctant. They didn't listen. They were reluctant. So the Prophet got very angry. And he went to his tent and he said to Umm Salama, Woe to the Muslims. The Muslims will be perished. Woe to them. I told them to remove their hands and they didn't. Umm Salama, he said, Don't blame them, O Prophet of Allah. Huh? I know, she said, I know what they are going through. They are very upset, annoyed. Because they were wishing that they would go to Mecca. And the mushriks will stop them. So it's very hard for them. Something unbelievable happened. So what you should do, O Prophet of Allah? Who is saying this? Musalama. What you should do? Don't talk to them. Go and call the father, the one who is going to shave your hair. And start shaving your hair and leave them. Now the Sahaba, when they were reluctant, 
Were they disobeying the Prophet and rejecting his command? No. But the Sahaba, they were wishing and hoping, Oh Allah, send wahi. Send wahi to the Prophet telling him, Go! Against the will of the Mushriks. That they were praying for that. Until the last minute. But now the Prophet started shaving his hair. So there is no chance for wahi to come. So they started shaving each other. The narration says they were killing each other. Everyone is grabbing the head of the other one. Come, you are the one. Okay? So here the Prophet when his wife told him, do this, said this is a good idea. Okay? So not everything that comes from the side of the woman is uh, should be rejected, huh? So we referred this matter, the Shaykh said, we referred the matter to that which Allah sent His Messenger with. So when we checked the belief of this deviant group that they say Iman is only utterance and, and what? And conviction in the heart, that's it. So, and they throw away the, the acts and the actions of the limbs. He said, we referred the matter, this issue, to that which Allah sent His Messenger with and revealed in His book and the Quran. So we found that He made the, commen- the commencement of faith to be the testimony. The beginning of the Iman is what? The Shahada. Now a new revert. He comes here and He says, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah, Ashhadu Muhammad Rasulullah. That's the beginning of the Iman. Not the end. He just entered from, through the door. That's the commencement. That's the beginning of the Imam. To be the testimony that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. And that Muhammad is his messenger. So this is the key. The Shahada is not the whole Imam. But that's the beginning of it. Are you following? But if this person, the revert, after saying the Shahada, he died, where will he go? Huh? Jannah. Straightforward. Why? Because all his sins, first of all, are washed. This is uh, a credit. This is the privilege giving to the revert. All his sins he committed in the past are washed. The moment he says the Shahada, all his black record is washed away. So he's now just born again. Just like the day that his mother delivered him. No sin at all. If he dies immediately to the Jannah. Who says that? The Prophet. Amr ibn al As. Amr ibn al As came to the Prophet to become a Muslim. And then he stretched his hand to shake hand with the Prophet. And then he pulled his hand. Said, Why did you pull your hand? He said, I want to make a condition. Ashtarut. 
he wants to make a condition. I said, what is the condition? He said, I will become a Muslim in one condition. That all my sins in the past are forgiven. Because he fought the Prophet you know that. So that's, this is my condition. The Prophet told him, O oh, Amr, Ama Adinta, Anna al Islam, Yajubu ma kablahu. O Amr, didn't you know that Islam washes away and wipes the sins that perpetrated or committed prior to Islam? Didn't you know this? So Islam washes all the sins a person committed in the past. Okay. How about the good things that he did in the past? The kuffar, they do good things. Don't they? They do. <coughs> but because of the kufr, the disbelief, that will spoil everything. All the good deeds that they did in, the, uh, in, in this life, they are filthy lives. They are in vain. They will not be accepted. Why they will not be accepted? Because of the disbelief, because of the kufr, because of the blasphemy. That will nullify everything. But if this person who was doing good things before Islam, and then he became a Muslim, all the good things he made, he made and gained before Islam, okay, they will be added also to his record. And the bad deeds will be wiped away. The bad deeds, the evil deeds will be washed. And the good deeds will be added to his record. But the one, the kafir or the non-believer, who did good deeds and then died, he will go to hell. And all these good deeds which he committed will not benefit him, will not bring him anything. Aisha she asked the Prophet about a man in the Jahiliyyah, his name is Ibn Jad'an. Ibn Jad'an was a generous man. He has massive pots cooking for the people, wayfarers, travelers. Those pots are so massive that they had ladders. The people will go by the ladders into the pot. And throughout the year, they are on the fire, feeding the people. So Aisha said, O Prophet of Allah, did that help Ibn Jad'an? He said, no. No. Because he didn't one day say, O my Lord, forgive me my sins. Never. So, because some people, some Muslims, they say, you know, Mother Teresa, uh, she was doing good deeds, you know. So she was helping the poor, etc. So maybe she'll go to the Jannah. You with her, you will go to hell. If you think Mother Teresa will go to heaven, then you'll be with her in hell. Yes. This is, should be clear to every Muslim. You should know the violations of Islam. You know the violations of Islam. 
You don't, you know the nullifiers of faith. The things that will take you out of Islam. One of them, if you doubt the disbelief of the disbelievers. If you think Jews, Christians, Hindu, Pagans, Buddhists, if you think that they go to heaven, then you are out of Islam. Why? Because Allah said they are going to heaven. So and you are saying they are going to heaven. Then you are saying the opposite of what Allah said. What did Allah say so? Allah said in the Quran, لَقَدْ كَفَرَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ ثَالِثُ ثَلَاثَةٌ Verily those who say God is Trinity, they are disbelievers. They have disbelieved. لَقَدْ كَفَرَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْمَسِيحُ بْنُ مَرْيَمُ Verily they have disbelieved. Those who say Jesus Christ, the Son of Mary, is Allah, is God Almighty. Who says that? Christians. Our Lord Jesus Christ. So Allah says they are disbelievers. They are kuffar. And yet you find some Muslims if you tell them the Christians are disbelievers, they go to hell. Say, I don't know. Or maybe he'll tell you you are takfiri. Hmm? What is this? There is ignorance among the Muslims. The same thing about the Jews. Allah said, وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودِ عُزَيْرُ بْنُ اللَّهِ The Jews say, Ezra is the son of God. وَقَالَتِ النَّصَارَ الْمَسِيحِ بْنُ اللَّهِ And the Christians say, Jesus Christ is the son of God. No difference between the Jews and the Christians. Hindus, what they say? God is in everything. God is in the toilet, God is in this bottle, God is in the, the table is gold, everything is gold. That's the belief of the Hindus. They call them pantheists. Pantheist is a person who thinks God is in everything. Everything is God. The same thing the Buddhists. There's no one on earth who worships Allah except the Muslims. No one. Name. Do not find anyone on earth worships Allah except the Muslims. That's why they are the target. And all of them against them. So the one who says now, the Shahada, he becomes a Muslim. But then, it's not enough. We have to ask him other things to do. Because many people, when one says the Shahada, they, that's it. They don't teach him the Salah. The one who said the Shahada yesterday, brothers, there should be a follow-up, okay? In the masjid there. I think the brother there, he, he saw the... No, no, okay. No one is there from the masjid, huh? He's here. A brother who said the Shahada, revert, alhamdulillah. So, there should be a follow-up. Anyone who comes and becomes a Muslim, we need to follow him. Teach him the Salah, Teach him the, the basics of Islam. And tell him to come to the masjid. And follow him. Until you feel that now he can stand in solid ground. Then you say okay. Not that he said the kalim and that's it. Many people they, they go back. They go back to the kufr. After saying the shahada. So you need. The Prophet ﷺ in the hadith. Which is in Bukhari and Muslim. When he sent 
Mu'ad to Yemen. He told him, I'm sending you to the people of the book in Yemen. So prepare yourself for them. Okay, so you should be equipped. That's always the da'ya should be like that. You don't go to the people and you underestimate them. You say they know nothing. And then they fire you with questions. Okay? And then you, they spin your head. Okay? And you start, ha, ha, you don't know what to do. No. Always, when you go to the battlefield, you have to be ready for the fight. Well equipped. So he, and that's why he chose Mu'ad. Why Mu'ad? Why not Khalid ibn al-Walid? Because Khalid ibn al-Walid, that is not his business. The da'wah. Da'wah is an art. And it is intellectual uh, deed and work. Khalid knows chopping heads. This is what is good in that. In jihad Khalid. Sword. He's the sword of Allah. That's Khalid. Okay? That's, and the Prophet sallallahu he's the one who called him the sword of Allah. And Khalid, I'll tell you by the way, <coughs> in one of the battles with the Romans, the commander of the Romans came and he said, I want to meet your commander. Because there are rumors around that he's the sword of God. So they thought that this sword which he holds came from God Almighty. That's why he defeats everyone. So he said, Khalid, I know you are a Muslim and the Muslim will never lie. Tell me the truth. Is it true that you got a sword from God Almighty? He said, no. But our prophet called me the sword of God. He said, so why are you fighting us? He said, we heard that your bloods are very sweet. And we are thirsty to drink your bloods. <laughs> he told him, if one wants to become like you, what should he do? He said he has to say, say the Shahada, La ilaha illa Muhammad Rasulullah, then he becomes like us. He said, that's it. He said, yes. He said, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashhadu an Muhammad Rasulullah. And he joined Khalid, and now he's fighting the Romans. And he died as Shaheed. SubhanAllah. This is Tawfiq from Allah. How his life was ended. So he chose the Prophet ﷺ, Mu'ad. Why Mu'ad? The Prophet ﷺ said, أَعْلَمُكُمْ بِالْحَلَالِ وَالْحَرَامِ Mu'ad ibn Jabal. The most knowledgeable one among the Sahaba regarding halal and haram is Mu'ad. So Mu'ad is a scholar. The Prophet ﷺ said, Mu'ad يقدم العلماء يوم القيامة برتوى. Which means, Mu'ad leads the scholars. He's the head of the scholars and the delegation of the scholars are behind him. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he wants to send someone for the da'wah, he would choose the most qualified one. Not the ignorant one. So he sent Mu'ad to Yemen. What did he tell Mu'ad? Oh Mu'ad, when you arrive in Yemen, the first thing that he sorted out the priorities for him. He sorted out what? The priorities of the da'wah. He told him, the first thing that you should call the people to 
is la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. The kalima. It is logic. Very logic. How you come to a person who doesn't believe and tell him pray? Doesn't work. A person, for instance, he believes, but he doesn't pray. And at the same time, he's wearing a golden ring. Should I come to him and say, haram the golden ring? He knows it's haram. I will not mention the golden ring. I tell him, pay, first of all. Every Muslim knows that it is haram. Every Muslim knows riba is haram. But yet they do it. Why? Because their iman is so weak. So weak the iman. So if you want him to leave doing the haram, strengthen his iman. Then he will throw out the golden ring and leave the haram. When the iman is picking up, increasing. For instance, now you tell your wife, television is haram, I have to remove it. You tell her, if you remove it, remove me as well. <laughs> okay? That means, if the television is taken away, I will go to my family, divorce me. This is my best friend. I can't live without the telling. And you might go to a sheikh who is fanatic sheikh. They tell you divorce her. And you divorce your wife. And she leaves a bunch of children behind. And this one is crying. And this one wants someone to chain the diver. And this one. And you go crazy. Because hmm? she left everything. And she went to her family. So what should you do? Television is evil, no doubt. And also divorcing her is another evil. So what you should do? Change the strategy, the tactic. Work on her imam. Strengthen her imam. Take her for umrah to Mecca. And stay in nice hotel like, you know, Intercontinental, we have intercontinental Makkah, but they call it Tawheed. <laughs> intercontinental, or the Sheraton, or Hell Channel. Stay there a few days with her, only you and her. And her Iman will pick up, will increase. And when you are seeing that the tears are rolling on her cheeks, say, Oh, mother of so and so. says, Yes, my. My darling, it's my husband. What do you want? Say, I want a small request. Say, what is it? It is granted, man. What is it? Say, that little devil will remove. That's Shaitan at home. Say, of course. Why not? I will remove it by my own hand. I'll smash it, you realize. See, what happened? Why now she is ready? Tell me. Iman. Our problem, brothers and sisters, is lack of Iman. Lack of Iman. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said to Mu'ad, the first thing he called the people of Yemen, they were Jews and Christians, is to accept Islam. To the Kalimah. In one of the narrations, and Allah to believe in the oneness of God Almighty. 
don't we are in this in the course of da'wah here with the Christians, never talk about primary uh, secondary issues. They might say, well, your prophet married more than four. Say, that is will come later to it. I will not let you consume my time. I will concentrate with the issue of the Tawheed. That's the most important thing. The oneness of God Almighty. Once he accepts the concept of Tawheed, everything will just come naturally. He will accept. So you have to shake his faith. You have to shake the doctrine that he has. The Holy Trinity. Destroy it. And call him to the oneness and the belief. In the oneness of Allah, the God Almighty. Once he accepts that, then everything will, will come by default. Then he said, If they, the people of Yemen, accept from you the Tawheed, the belief in the oneness of God, then move the second step, the Salah. Not to call them to the prayer when they don't believe. What's the use? If someone prays and he doesn't believe in the oneness of Allah, will Allah accept his prayer? No. No. So now he accepted the Tawheed, then you move the second step, and that is the, the Salah. And if they accept the Salah, then move the further, the Zakah, and tell them that Allah imposed upon them a charity or Zakah to be taken, from the rich and given to the poor. In the same land. In the same land we take from the rich and give the poor. Only when we have surplus then we move it to another place. So this person now who became a Muslim through the Shahada. Then we have to teach him other things. The Salah, the Siyam, the Zakah. And we go step by step. Because there is a problem here. Which is. Some, pe- some brothers or some people, when one becomes a Muslim, they want him to learn Islam overnight. They teach him everything. So the guy finds it, he feels it's, very, it's too much for him to comprehend. No, we take it slowly, step by step. For instance, he just few hours became a Muslim, now they will come. Have you circumcised? Yes, true or not? He says no. Said, then your salah is invalid. Who said so? Just they are saying anything. They don't know that Ibrahim alayhi salam, he got himself circumcised at the age of 70. So was the salah of Ibrahim invalid? <coughs> 70 years. At that age he circumcised himself. He's the one who circumcised himself. With what? Not with the blade, with the axe. With the axe. So, when a person becomes a Muslim, we not mention the circumcision for him. He'll be afraid. Maybe he will leave Islam. Oh, later on, his salah is correct. His life with his wife is correct. There is nothing he is doing haram. Then after that, of course it is fault, it should be done, 
But we wait until the Iman is what? It is strong. A man came to the Prophet Sallallahu He said, I love Islam. I like it. But there is have a weakness. I can't get rid of it. Don't worry. Just become a Muslim. The Prophet Sallallahu told him that. Just become a Muslim. Then that weakness you will be able to overcome it and get rid of it. This is what the Prophet said. Imagine now a non-Muslim came and said, I want to become a Muslim, but I have a problem. I can't leave alcohol. Say, no, there's no way. Right? There's no way. You have to leave alcohol, otherwise there is no Islam. And the Prophet is saying the opposite to the man. So just become a Muslim and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, when you taste the Iman and the sweetness of Iman, then you will be by, by yourself, you will leave the the haram. But the, when we don't know, that's why the da'wah is an art, and we don't know the deen, we'll make such mistakes and turn people away from Allah's deen. Imagine that I say, okay, you are alcoholic, okay, no problem, become a Muslim. You can carry on drinking your alcohol, but just become a Muslim. And he died. After that, which is better for him? To die as a Muslim, alcoholic Muslim, or to die as a Christian alcoholic? Tell me. Of course. Of course. So here the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he says, so we found that he, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, made the commencement of the Iman to be the testimony. That's the beginning of it. And the testimony that no one, no God should be worshipped, worthy of being worshipped except Allah. And that Muhammad وسلم, is his messenger. What time is the Malik? Okay. And the Prophet وسلم, remained in Mecca. And the Prophet وسلم, remained in Mecca after his prophethood for 10 years. 10 years in Mecca. Or ten odd years calling to this testification. In Mecca, he was calling to the Tawheed. No Siyam, no Zakah. Okay? Only to the Tawheed. Most of these ordinances and teachings revealed in Medina. Revealed where? In Medina. So the Prophet was laying the foundation. In, in Mecca. And at that time, nothing else was prescribed to be part of faith, except the, the Tawheed. And one of the main characteristics of the Meccan surahs, you know the Quran, Madani surahs and Meccan surahs. The Meccan surahs are the surahs that were revealed before Hijrah. And the Madani Surahs are the one that revealed after the Hijrah. So this is the, the criteria. So the one who responded to this call in Mecca, the one who responded to this call in Mecca was a mu'min, true or not, was a believer. 
And it was not necessary to call him anything else but a believer. Because he accepted what the Prophet ﷺ offered him. And what the Prophet ﷺ called him to, to believe in. And zakah or fasting, or the other regulations of the religion were not obligatory upon him. Because they were not prescribed yet. Right? They were not imposed yet. The scholars have explained this by saying that this leniency, there was a leniency and there was a tolerance and flexibility at that time was a mercy and kindness from Allah to His servants. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took the people step by step. They were pagans. They were idol worshippers. They were alcoholics. Okay? All the bad things they were doing, the Arabs before Islam. So Allah took them step by step gradually to remove them from that pit of sinfulness. The scholars have explained